This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. God wants whoever he's calling, that he be number one. So the pull of the world, sometimes that gets in the way of God. You need to step away. We're talking about vocation, we're talking about life, we're talking about God, and I want to do what God wants, and I don't care if that means not pleasing somebody. People, when they see us, they, they wonder, how can you be happy? How can you be smiling? How's there joy? Because God fills us. We often use the word vocational to describe something that you wouldn't be likely to do unless you really wanted to, something like being a teacher or working in one of a whole variety of nonprofit fields where the financial rewards are relatively small, but the less tangible rewards are much greater. The word vocational, though, has another meaning, one that filmmaker David Rangeli explores in his documentary, The Calling. That film follows one Catholic community, the family of Jesus Healer, as they move their mission from Tampa, Florida, to Peru. The film looks at what the members of that community, the priests, monks, and nuns, go through as they make their decisions about religious life and about moving to Peru. The calling will be shown at Fordham University on Thursday, April 16th. David Rangeli joined me in the studio this week to talk about the film, about why it's hard to understand the idea of a calling, and about what he learned exploring it. David Rangeli, thanks for talking with me this morning. Thank you, Nora, for having me. Now, tell me how you came to hear about this group, The Family of Jesus the Healer, and why you decided to make a film about them. I was um, in the process of finishing up one documentary. I was in the looking for another uh, topic to work on. The idea of spirituality or people who were drawn to religious life had always fascinated me. I was brought up a Catholic. So I wanted to sort of explore that curiosity a little further. And in a discussion I was having with a very good friend of mine named Trey Bravant, who was also a producer on the project, I was telling him my ideas of how a story could be developed around that. And he mentioned to me that his sister was uh, part of a community that lived and worked in Ybor City, which is sort of a northern area of Tampa, Florida. And he suggested that I give them a call and see if they would be willing to, to be documented. Because my initial plan was to sort of look at young men going into sort of seminary life. And the thought of working with a community, especially a newer community, in a very sort of impoverished area, an area in need, really attracted me. Because I wanted to investigate and examine the dynamic of saying yes to this sort of life in a very real context. And I went down there. I flew uh, into Tampa. I met with Father Philip in the community. I basically said who I was and what I was planning to do. And they all said, yeah, let's let's see how this works. Who are the people that you follow in this film? What are they doing? The characters of my documentary, The Calling, are all members of a newly formed Catholic religious community in ta- uh, called the Family of Jesus Healer. They were founded in the mid-'90s by a priest named Father Philip Scott, again, in and around the area of Tampa, Florida. The main protagonists uh, in the film are the priest who founds the community, Father Philip, his co-founder confidant named Mother Mary Elizabeth, who is a woman who became religious late in life, who is deciding to, you know, investigate this desire to, to be closer to God, whatever her spiritual drawing is but who also is a mother and a grandmother. So there's that dynamic of, you know, the, the conflict, if you will, between her faith and her, and her family uh, relationships. 
But the main, main character of the film is a young man named Orlando Castillo who comes from a very uh, wealthy background. Um, his family's Nicaraguan immigrants who come to this country, like so many immigrants, searching for a better life, and who decides he is feeling the stirring in his heart and he wants to investigate it further. And that causes a bit of conflict and misunderstanding, if you will, between him and his parents, especially his father. Tell me a little bit more about Orlando's background. Is his father a doctor? Was that... Yeah, uh, Dr. Orlando Castillo studied in Nicaragua, um, was going to be a doctor in Nicaragua. He and Mrs. Castillo fled that country in the 80s when the Sandinistas took over, reestablishes himself in, in Tampa, Florida, has two children, Orlando and a younger brother named Jorge, and, you know, is living the American life. You know, he's, he's prospering, he's doing well, he's providing for his family. This is a gated community. And it's in South Tampa, and I grew up here since I was three years old, and I'm now 21, going on 22. The reason why I think that someone who would grow up in a wealthy neighborhood or a wealthy family would want to live in a poor area, live simply, live poorly, isn't a negative experience with the wealth, but being drawn to, to something deeper, being drawn to something more simple, being drawn to simplicity. And, and when you feel the call, when you feel like you want to serve God, nothing, nothing is as great as that. Nothing is uh, as, as desirous as that. As this film starts, you have this community and they're sort of a nice local religious community. They're involved in the community and so on and so forth. But uh, Father Philip Scott has decided that the whole community should move to Peru, where exactly. he's from, and that they should continue the work that they're doing there. Yeah. What, when I first connected with this community, it was December of 2002. They were still, like I said, operating in and around Ybor City in Tampa, Florida. And it was my initial thought that the film was going to take place in America, in Tampa, in this area, which would have been, you know, a, a pretty interesting perspective into the life because, I mean, they were in an area that is very heavily um, inundated with drugs, with prostitution, with a lot of, you know, children at risk. So they were doing some pretty incredible work in the community, plus the work that they were doing on themselves in their sort of spiritual journey. It was about three or four months after I started documenting them that the thought or the idea that they were going to be leaving to go to Peru really took a front seat. Now, I had known that they were contemplating going to Peru, but the deal wasn't done when I first met up with them in uh, in December of 2002. And for many, the thought of leaving America to go to Peru really raised some internal questions and issues for themselves. I mean, they they had some discussions or doubts about, you know, what exactly are we going to be doing in Peru? Why are we going to Peru? Father Philip, however, is a native of Peru, and he always felt that his community would someday go back to his native country and try and, in his words, heal the wounds that have been afflicted on that society due to political, economic, whatever sort of strife that they've been going through for, for the past number of decades. So they all had to take this leap of faith with him to go to Peru. Why Peru now? I believe that God sees that we need this to prepare us more for heaven. He's asking for a greater donation, self-sacrifice, giving of ourselves. We were created for a relationship with God, not just here on earth, but for eternity. 
my way of life should point to something deeper and our ultimate end, which is Jesus. Something that confused me when I was watching this, and I think it was a little bit of a problem for me, was that when they spoke, or when specifically when Father uh, Philip Scott spoke about going to Peru, he didn't speak about it in terms of the needs of the community that they were already in, which, as you say, was is very rough community with a lot of problems where they were already doing a lot of work, or in terms of the needs of this community in Peru where they ended up going, which there were also a lot of needs and they did a lot of good stuff there. How did people who were in this community feel when they're, I mean, basically this is their parish, right? Picks up and leaves all of a sudden. Wouldn't you feel abandoned? Wouldn't that sort of I don't know. Wouldn't that be sort of a bad thing to do? It's a very difficult issue. And and I actually had questions about that, you know, because there were characters in the story that I was beginning to develop. There was a there was a young Cuban family. A woman had uh, she was in exile from Cuba. She had uh, a young son, a young daughter and an even uh, a newborn that they were ministering to and, and taking care of. The question I had when, when they decided that they were going to leave and go to Peru was, okay, well, what's going to happen with this family that has really sort of attached itself to you because you're the one thing in their lives right now that's really giving them a sense of security, that's giving them a sense of direction, that's listening to their needs. It, it was on some level, for me personally, seeing the connectedness that they had to some of the individuals and some of those in need in Tampa a deep question that I had to ask myself, like, why is this? Why is it so important to go to Peru? What is the relationship that is going to be broken with these people who you've been helping here in the United States of America? And I don't know if there's a true answer for that. Now, in their defense, before they did leave to go to Peru, they did speak with other local parishes, other local religious communities and priests and nuns, and basically gave them a list of people saying, look, these are people we've been taking care of. You know, we don't want to leave them high and dry. <laughs> so, you know, these are their needs. If you can continue to work with them, it would, we would appreciate it. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flair. We're talking today on the show with documentary filmmaker David Rangeli about his film, The Calling. That film explores the idea of a religious calling and how it plays out in the modern world. It's going to be shown at Fordham University's Bronx campus on Thursday, April 16th. Let's get back to that conversation. So let's talk more about Orlando Castillo. Tell me about what he goes through in the course of this movie and also how start with how he begins. Well, as I said, Orlando comes from um, a prosperous family that lives in uh, South Tampa, which is a very wealthy area of that town. You know, his father is a doctor. His mother is a nurse. They are Catholic in the sense that, you know, they go to mass and what have you. The mother is a little bit more devout than the father is. And, you know, he grows up Typical American kid doing the things that, that we all do, hanging out with friends, going to school, participating in, in sporting events, what have you. He decides actually his senior year in high school that he is feeling the stirring to uh, uh, become a priest. And the journey that he begins to go on takes him closer and closer to this priest who is in the community, who is finding this, founding this new community, he's having Bible studies, he's reaching out to the community to inform them about his new group and the work that they're doing, and this priest is Father Philip Scott. 
And Father Philip begins to have a lot of influence over him in terms of what his spirituality is about and what he is saying. So when that community leaves Tampa and goes to Peru, and Orlando is still deciding that this is something I wish to investigate further, he he decides that following his heart and going to Peru to further investigate this with Father and that community in Peru is the right thing for him to do. It's more complicated than that, though, because when he goes down there, um, and in in general, it seems, when he's sort of deciding whether he's going to adopt this, this religious life, he's not allowed to have really any contact with his parents. Precisely. Is that the is that the standard thing for that, or is that a specific thing to this community? It depends on the particular community. A lot of communities that have been formed in, in recent decades in, in the Catholic faith, um, especially post-Vatican II, are part of what they re- refer to as the reform of the reform. And they're embracing a more conservative, classical ethic, if you will, within how religious communities and and how the faith should be practiced and adhered to. And Father Philip's community definitely falls into that type of religious order. So the way in which they live their lives, the mandates on when they get up, when they pray, when they eat, is very structured according to an older method of, of religious life. So that is something that draws from from the past, placing it into a new sort of modern context. The separation from family, it's a very difficult thing to to sort of come to terms with, um, especially because how strict they are in the communication that he can have with his parents. You know, he's only allowed to write one letter a month during this particular period where he's sort of really sort of investigating whether or not he wants to be a member of this community and whether the community decides that he's right for them. What he is doing by separating himself or what the community is trying to teach him by that separation is they want him to really sort of focus on what's going on inside, internally. The people who we have our connection with, our family, our friends, you know, our coworkers, what have you, can influence us in certain ways. They can give us, you know, their opinions on things, which is fine. I mean, we, we all want that. But in the situation that he's in and what they're trying to train him for, he really needs to sort of look deeper inside himself and get into a, a contemplative zone where he could really sort of figure out, is this a true conversation? Is this a true calling that I'm trying to follow? That's not throughout the film necessarily how everybody feels or even how he feels. One of the hard things of being in the community is not being able to communicate with my family or friends as much as I would like to. The beginning processes of the co- being a religious, the rules are much stricter in communication. Like right now I can only write. It kind of stings me sometimes because I see Father, he's able to use the internet, you know, able to communicate with friends, family, but it's just not allowed to me. At one point in the film, there's just a few moments with Orlando's father, who's obviously not really on board with this whole thing, where he says, you know, they've taken our son away and they're brainwashing him. I never got the sense, being around them uh, as long as, as I was, that there was this specific malicious intent to keep someone separated from their family. I did get the sense, though, that barriers would be placed in terms of the rules of the community and 
reaching out to one's parents or or friends or what have you. You know, for example, there there was a scene I filmed, which isn't in the film, but one of the brothers, it was his birthday, and he was given 15 minutes on the phone to speak to his father and mother, <laughs> you know, which for any of us would seem a little odd that, you know, it's it's his birthday, you know, his father and mother haven't spoken to him in a month and a half, and he's only given 15 minutes to, to speak to his parents. You know, again, they're adhering to and trying to practice a much more traditional style of Catholic faith. And the place that they're trying to create for themselves is much more contemplative, centering more on the conversation that they themselves as an individual need to have with Christ. And what they're trying to do is allow that individual that freedom to be able to have that conversation. Now, in terms of Orlando and his family, I mean, the interesting dynamic there is that, you know, he comes from a Latino family. Latinos are very, very respectful of the family dynamic and especially of the father of the family. I mean, Dr. Castillo is a man who whose father is still alive and he speaks to his father three, four times a day. <laughs> so he can't understand, you know, well, look, you know, I can call my father up and talk to him three, four times a day and I can call your brother Jorge up and talk to him. Why can't I talk to you? What you witness there when he's sitting at that table and he's saying that this priest came into my son's life, he has influenced him, he has brainwashed him, is that frustration manifesting itself, you know, coming to the fore, giving full expression to, you know, what he is going through at that moment of, you know, why can I speak to, why can I not communicate with my son? But again, he is not on the inside of what Orlando is going through and what Orlando willfully says yes to. I think one of the things that's interesting about this movie is that there is this tension because this this religious community is based around their whole thing is sort of respecting the family and sort of getting people to come together as families. And they themselves sort of are structured as a family. But at the same time, there's every person that you focus on in the movie is having an incredible amount of tension about exactly. about their own families. Um, I'll ask you about the uh, Mother Superior in a second, and that's a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and it's an interesting dynamic of, as you pointed out, of, of what their charism is and, and the ironies connected to that. I mean, their charism is to heal the wounds of what they call the broken family. But one can easily look at what is being depicted in the film and say, but wait a second. They're pulling people away from their families. They're causing this heartache and emotional strain on fathers, mothers, daughters, brothers, sisters who can't speak to their particular family members. I mean, what's going on here? Why is, why is that part of what this community is, is doing and is about? You know, I, I think it raises an interesting issue in terms of religious life and, and vocation in that so often it is viewed in a very sort of cultural context. I've spoken with a lot of vocation directors and, and people who are part of religious communities, obviously, as I've been making this film. And so many of them talk about the the cultural obstacles to getting somebody to say yes to this life. You know, I mean, there's sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, there's fame, there's fortune. I mean, who doesn't want that, you know? <laughs> and that's part of the issue, I think. But what my film really expresses clearly is that the other side of that coin is the familial side. And again, for a lot of us, I think witnessing the way these people separate from their families and the way that they willfully choose this life and, you know, don't interact with, with their siblings and their parents and what have you, 
could seem a bit odd because we do have such close relations and such easy relations with the people who are in our lives. But again, they're saying yes to something that isn't of the norm. They're saying yes to something that in many ways is part of an older tradition, something that hasn't been influenced by the very individualistic, very free, very open ethos of post-World War II society. Just out of curiosity, does um, did Father Scott have any family? Because there was never any mention of that in the movie. Yeah, you know, you bring up an interesting point. He does have family. He has uh, or had a mother who, who recently passed away. He has brothers. He has a sister, um, an aunt, and he had very close relationships. Very close relationships with them. And that's a subject of a certain amount of dissonance, I assume. Which is brought up in the film. I mean, there's a there's a sequence where Orlando is sort of walking down the street. He's new into this life. He's sort of really taking on um, what it is they're about, um, the limitations, especially in terms of reaching out to family. And he's and he questions openly. You know, I don't understand why. You know, I only can write one letter. I don't understand why I can't use the internet. Why I can't make a phone call. And he speaks with Father about it openly and says, you know, Padre. I mean, what's going on here? I, I mean, I understand the need for the separation, but other people may not understand. And how do I explain it to someone? And Padre, you know, basically gives him the answer that you need a degree of separation to really just sort of clear your head, clear your heart, and clear your soul of any sort of outside distractions. And as much as you love your family, and in no way, shape, or form is the community saying, you, you know, you need to break all ties with your family. You need to not love them anymore. Not at all. But in terms of this uh, initial period of deciding whether or not this is going to be your life, your vocation, that degree of separation is deemed necessary. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. A little later this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, The Art of Lying to an Audience, that's ahead at 7.30. But first, I'm talking today on Fordham Conversations with filmmaker David Rangeli. His documentary, The Calling, will be shown at Fordham University's Bronx campus on Thursday evening, April 16th. You can learn more about the film and the screening at thecallingdocumentary.com. Let's hear the rest of that conversation. It should be clear to people listening by now that you sort of picked an example of religious life that is... I for want of a better word, it's it's pretty hardcore. You know, these people don't just decide to be priests and nuns and then, you know, live in a parish that's near where they grew up, which a lot of people do. It seems like a lot of the point of, of your film was to sort of, for you yourself to come to an understanding and also to help other people come to an understanding of why people do this. But it's sort of a group that you really have to work to understand why they do it. Um, did you have in mind to do something with a group who's doing something that's a little bit easier to understand and relate to? My thought going in was that, you know, yeah, I was going to be following these people who were drawn to religious life. I really felt that it was going to be very much about sort of their internal, not so much struggle, but their sort of internal um, education and, and deciding that this is what they wanted to do. There was going to be a lot of them sort of dealing with the poor and people in need, you know, a lot of the sort of typical stuff. But in the in conclusion, in the end, I really think that the dynamic that takes place with the particular characters and their families was really sort of a blessing <laughs> because it's dramatic. 
I think people get it. Whether you agree or disagree, it's definitely going to grab a hold of you. And everyone can relate to it. It's got very universal elements and themes to, to what's being displayed. I don't want to stop or I don't want to end this without asking you about Mother Mary Elizabeth because her story in this is it's a great story. Mother is, a, is another one from the community who, you know, is dealing with these issues of, of family. I mean, she's a woman who became religious late in life. She was a very close friend of Father Phillips prior to joining the community for a number of years. She decides to join the religious community and not only join it, but become the mother superior of the feminine wing of the community. She has two daughters and six grandchildren. And, you know, that adds, again, a certain weight on her in terms of what she's saying yes to. The day that my mom received the habit was in a very real way, like a death. It was just, um, there was a part of normal life that absolutely came to an end that day. And everything from that day forward would have to be different. It's a difficult thing to reconcile because you know she's not going to be there necessarily when you have a baby or when your kids, you know, graduate or have those milestones or, you know... And it's hard to let go of that. It's hard to know you're not going to have that all the time. I do trust God. And I know that if it's, in a sense, allowed by him, then it has to be, on a certain level, okay with me, too. I just have to trust that he's going to do whatever is the best thing for everybody. But she's just my mom. <laughs> Mother was definitely one of the harder nuts for me to crack in filming because for a very long time she didn't want me to go to the places that I felt it needed to go in terms of discussing her relationship with her daughters or lack thereof because she was part of this community. It took me a number of years, actually, to get her to open up and allow me to be present with cameras when she was meeting with her daughters or even talking about them with the other members of the community or, or writing a letter to them or what have you. You know, she's a woman who has given herself to this life, but there's still some questions there as to just what am I walking away from and am I truly prepared to walk away from my daughters and my grandchildren. And she ends up leaving the community and not being a nun anymore. Exactly. And again, that was when that occurred, we were actually in the process of what I thought was putting together the final edit for the film. <laughs> and you know, in the documentary form, things just pop up and you need to reinvestigate and reevaluate where you are. And that was a very long conversation that I had with both her and Padre about what was going on. They were initially resistant to me filming that for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, a member of the community and a very important member of the community is walking away. I mean, how are people going to interpret that? My explanation to them and and you know, I think it's it's the right reason was I think it shows them in a much more beneficial light. I mean, how could someone claim that this was the cult of Father Philip Scott when he's letting one of his best friends, his confidant, his co-founder walk away because she needs to take care of some personal family issues? And for me, I felt that that was one of the strongest reasons why people needed to see that. Because all throughout the film, they're seeing people walk away from their past lives. They're seeing people walk away from family. They're seeing limitations placed on what we, you know, in the outside world would call our freedoms. And the question arises, you know, is this just 
you know, a manifestation of father's ego. And it's, you know, what father says, that's what goes. And when this occurred, you know, I really felt that it, it provided us an opportunity to say, you know, no, it's not about that. I mean, these people are really trying to, in the way that they're living their lives, try and develop a closer relationship with Christ. These are limitations that they willfully place on themselves. They're saying yes to this. You know, they're not being forced into it. And by mother walking away and being allowed to walk away to take care of some family issues, I thought it was a very powerful way of saying that, you know, these people, you know, do have an opportunity to, if this isn't something that they feel they're necessarily called to anymore, go back to their previous lives. What is everybody doing now? The community is still in Peru. Father Philip is still establishing his mission in both El Vallecito and now they've actually sort of branched out into an area um, in the Amazon where they started another uh, household. So they're, they're still living and working in Peru. Orlando is in a seminary studying to be a priest, still with the community. And um, Mother Mary is no longer with the community. She, she has officially withdrawn herself, and she is living and working in uh, Tampa, Florida. Well, David Rangeli is the maker of the film The Calling, which you can find out more about at www.thecallingdocumentary.com. David Rangeli, thanks so much. Thank you. And you can watch The Calling on Fordham's Bronx campus on Thursday, April 16th at 7.30. Specifics about the location are at thecallingdocumentary.com as well. From WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org, this has been Fordham Conversations. The show's available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful weekend.